0: Chosen, holy, and beloved. That's how God sees you, and that's because of Christ. It's not because of you. He sees you that way. Chosen, beloved, and holy. Holy and beloved. And therefore, we need to see ourselves rightly from God's perspective, and that motivates us actually to do what's right.
1: Thanks for joining us for this Thursday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, today we continue our look at a passage that is truly life-changing for the believer, if we're willing to listen and obey.
0: Dave, you're absolutely right, and the key is what you just said, if we're willing to listen and obey. Well, what are we talking about? Let's turn together to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 12 through 14.
1: Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message.
0: When you go to the polls to elect a president who you choose, well, if it's not rigged, but who you choose becomes the president, right? You have elected them. You made a choice to bring that person into office. And in our context, Paul is calling these Colossian believers, God's elect, the ones God chose. Now, besides all the mess up and all this stuff and all the misunderstanding, this ought to be very encouraging. You know, I don't know if you remember, you know, and this is a bad illustration, but, you know, near junior high or elementary school and they're choosing the people for the teams, you know, What a blessing is to be chosen. Someone thought of you, right? Well, here it's much different than that. It's a silly illustration. But here, God chose us. And what does this mean? Now, again, many debate the doctrine of election, but God has it here. But we've got to see it balanced with the other truths. We've got to see it rightly. Scripture is really clear about this. I'm going to read off some passages. You can go there if you like. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God, verse 3. And Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Second Thessalonians 2.13. But we should also give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Second Peter 1.10. Therefore... Brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain of about his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. Scripture also identifies believers as the chosen. Romans chapter eight thirty-two. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will you not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Titus chapter 1, Paul, a bond servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of the chosen of God. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. 2 Timothy 2, 10, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, Paul writes to Timothy. The reality is... God sovereignly chose us. Now, this bothers us. (laughs) This bothers us, right? But think about it. Did God ask your permission to create you? Did God say, what day would you like to be born on? Did God do that? God actually brought it about, right? He is sovereign. And what we feel is that it's unfair, not right. But the reality is, along with his choosing... He also freely offers the gospel to everyone. And how does this work? How does this work? I don't understand that. If you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. That's to everyone. Now, whoever will call upon the name, of the Lord, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel goes out to all, so much so that Jesus, in His humanity, wept over Israel's rejection. O oh, Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as the way the hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were unwilling. Ezekiel chapter 18, 32, For I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of anyone who dies, therefore repent and live. He takes no pleasure in it. And precious in his sight of the death of his godly ones. He doesn't take pleasure in people dying in their sins and going to judgment, but he's a righteous, just God. The offer is available to all. But we see many are called, but few are chosen. We go, wait, how do we deal with that? Well, how I deal with it is I look at it and I go, okay, that's true. I look at that and I say, that's true. And I believe in both and I'm not going to try to resolve it because if I do, I'm going to get messed up. I'm going to get emotional or I'm going to become intellectual. And I'm going to get away from Christ rather than just believing what he said and looking at the intent here. The intent is God loves us. He chose us for salvation. What a wonderful thing. So then Paul says, He says, and so as of those who have been chosen of God. Now notice what he says after that. He talks about something in terms of holiness. He says, holy. He says, holy. The term Haggai speaks of being set apart in context from sin unto God. You see, we were delivered from the domain of darkness, and we were cleansed from our sins, we were forgiven, we were declared righteous, and therefore we are holy, we are saints. That's a derivative of that. We're holy. We're holy in position, and God is making us holy in practice. He says we're to be holy, for he is holy, First 1 Peter 1.16. So the chosen of God, the holy, those are holy, and lastly, beloved, or literally loved ones. This should make you just feel great about what God thinks of us. Now, you know, we're very cautious saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. You know, well, God chose us. He loves us. We are nothing. But we are who we are. We are who he made us. And he loves us. There's a personal relationship because of Christ. This term, beloved, means loved ones. We know that God demonstrates his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were in our sin and he loved us. We know in 1 John 3 that we are to see how great the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. What a tremendous love. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Chosen, holy, and beloved. That's how God sees you, and that's because of Christ. It's not because of you. He sees you that way. Chosen, beloved, and holy. Holy and Beloved. And therefore, we need to put on the form of God so we won't see ourselves wrongly. We need to see ourselves rightly from God's perspective. And that motivates us actually to do what's right. It motivates us to do what's right. This passage is written to believers, chosen, holy, and beloved. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can't do what is going to be said here. You can't do it. So then, if you've been raised in Christ, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved, If your life is hidden in him, then we're to allow Christ to live through us. I mentioned this illustration before of an old southern preacher. I thought, well, now I'm an old southern preacher. (laughs) Uh, uh, Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't. We are chosen, we're holy, and we're beloved. And therefore, that should motivate us to be who we are. So back to our passage now. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy beloved, here we go, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with this. You know, it's ugly when people are snappy. You ask them to do something, and we've all fallen that way, right? We've all done that. We've all reacted wrongly, but we should be convicted by it. Believers should be convicted. You know, we shouldn't be fearful of people. We ask them something, ah, you know, right? That doesn't look nice, does it? It looks terrible. We've all done that. But we should desire to clothe ourselves with these things, and then we should clothe ourselves with these things. This should be the clothing that people see of us, by and large. When they see you, you, and you, and you who have trusted Christ, when they, this is the thing they should see. This is what should envelop you on the inside going forth to the outside. Notice, first of all, he says, Put on a heart of compassion. Now, you might be able to say a heart of these things going the whole way through grammatically. It's possible. Put on a heart of compassion or a New King James, tender mercies. Here in Greek, it's two words. The first word is inward parts. That's the inside. The second Greek word speaks of emotion or heartfelt compassion. Excuse me. Sympathy, pity, mercy. Speaks of true, genuine, inward compassion. Heartfelt. Heartfelt. Be clothed with a heartfelt compassion. Now, Scripture reveals that God is full of compassion. You know, when James was summarizing the situation for Job, he said in the end deal, in the end run, it showed that God is full of compassion. James chapter 5. As an example of verse 10, Brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count them blessed who endured You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. He's full of compassion. Let me share some passages about the Lord's compassion. Let's turn it together to Matthew. Let's start in Matthew 9, verse 36. I think because of our disdain for sin, our compassion goes out the window at times. That needs to not be the case when we put it on. Now, we're going to see a lot of this has to do with our interactions within ourselves. Matthew chapter 9.36, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. That's our Lord. You abide in him, and you rely on him, and you let him live in you, and you're going to feel the same way. He's going to live through you. Because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd, he felt compassion. The inward sense of mercy and pity from the inward, from the heart. Matthew fourteen thirteen. Now when Jesus heard it, He withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by Himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, and speaking of what happened to John, they followed Him on foot from the cities. And when He went ashore, He saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. We see his compassion when he fed the 4,000 in Matthew fifteen thirty two. Matthew fifteen thirty two, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion. We go, feelings? Ooh, Christians don't have feelings. Yes, we do. <laughs> we should have his feelings. He says, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing. He was even compassionate because they were hungry. He's a compassionate God. I venture to say we lack of compassion a lot. I have. The Lord uses these passages to change my heart, change my heart, so that I would put that on, so that you would put that on, you would put that on, you would, right? Indeed, Matthew twenty thirty, we see his compassion again, and behold, two blind men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, "Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David." Matthew twenty thirty one. And the multitude sternly told them to be quiet. Be quiet, right? (laughs) But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed Him. You know, We are very much aware, and this is a good thing. If you're aware of your lack of compassion, that's a good thing. That means God is convicting you. That means He wants to change you, change us, right? We need to be more compassionate. We need to put on a heart of compassion. We need to think about it. When we're angry, we need to put that off. We need to be compassionate. We're going to see. We need to be forgiving. We need to be forbearing. It all ties into that. We need to be like Jesus. So the first one is compassion, right? Put it on, right? Jesus demonstrated his redemptive compassion in those portions, right? We should be full of compassion towards one another, especially, right? But also towards those who need to be saved. They need salvation. Choose by the Spirit to be compassionate. That means God's word's got to be working. That means when you're about to not be compassionate, you remember, oh, put it on a heart. That God's word works your heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me be like you. And He will. So notice, it comes from the heart, put on a heart of compassion. We need to have changed minds in relationship to our circumstances that we encounter on a daily basis. you got to change your mind about your circumstances. It's what people do to you that make you not be compassionate, make you angry, right? Or what you, how you perceive it. You may be wrong, actually, or not, right? Somebody says something to you, you get mad, storm off, whatever it is. Somebody says something, whatever it might be, you got to see your circumstances differently you got to allow the Lord to envelop you with compassion. We're going to encounter those who aren't so kind to us. We're going to encounter those who treat us badly. Yes. We're going to be tempted to be selfish, lack compassion. And we need to allow God, through his word, to change our minds towards those in whom we are around. Allow his word to convict you. And maybe you've been convicted. I haven't been compassionate. I've been reactive. Praise the Lord then. Confess it. Be forgiven. You know, we're those who confess sin and trust the Lord and allow Him to be compassionate to you. So put on a heart of compassion. Notice the next one. Kindness. Be clothed with kindness. You know, we can be so mean at times. You know, we need to be clothed with kindness. This word speaks of a kindness expressed in attitude or deed, a goodness towards others. It's a gracious, gentle disposition and brothers and sisters, again, we can be so unkind and we do fail, but we need to put it on. We need to confess and put it on, right? When we're tempted to be unkind next, remember what God has said and put on kindness. I share a couple of verses here. In relationship, we know that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? We know that we're saved by his grace so that in the ages to come, Ephesians 2.7, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us. God was kind to us when he saved us. He was kind. So we got to look at his character. we got to look at who he is and remember what he's done, and, and that will reflect in our lives. Titus 3.4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. We need to allow his kindness to be manifest in us. First Peter 2, 1, therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted kindness of the Lord. His kindness was to save us. We're wretched, we're in his face with our sin, and he saved us. It's a gracious God is kind. Galatians 5:22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness. Proverbs 19:22 what is desirable of a man is his kindness. Now I know we've all failed. So confess, be forgiven, praise God for forgiveness and ask him to help you be kind. Put it on. Throw off those other actions like a dirty garment. Confess them, throw them off or when you're tempted set them aside. And allow His Word and His will to renew your mind, so that you respond differently to people. Lord, help me be kind to them. Help me to be kind, Lord God, and He will. Now, notice the next one: put on heart of compassion, kindness, and the next one is humility. This is a genuine humility, as opposed to a false humility, like we see in chapter two—false humility, a false humbling, you know, to deal with sin or whatever it might. Be. This is a true humility. Now humility is simply the recognition of one's true state in light of who God truly is. Really seeing it rightly, it is a lowering of one's thinking to its proper place before God. It includes the idea of submission and obedience. He is humble, and Christ exemplified his humility in his incarnation. Philippians two, verse three. You could turn. Let's turn to Philippians two. See, when you see yourself above others, then you treat people badly. This is really that's it. When you see your will is more important than theirs, or God's, then you're going to treat people badly. That's how the world functions. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there you go, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You want to humble yourself, then obey the Lord in relationship to people around you. Humble yourself, right? He became obedient in his humility. Matthew 11:28. 28, Jesus shares an invitation to all who are weary and heavy land, and he shares his internal reality of who he is about himself. The only time he does this, come to me all you who are weary in heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. What a great God we have. We ought to put it on. First Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And how am I going to do that in this context? Casting all my anxiety upon him, for he cares for me. I'm prideful if I hold on to that stuff. If I give it over to him, I'm realizing, hey, I can't do anything about it. But he can, and he will. James 4, 6, when dealing with worldliness, but he gives a greater grace, therefore it says God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. He'll give you grace. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Tremendous. Tremendous. Put it on like a garment. In Christ, you can choose to allow his character to come through you rather than your old man living through you. You can choose to allow Christ. Notice the next one on the list, gentleness. Now, there's a few different words for gentle in Scripture. This one comes from the Greek word praus that's related to it. It's sometimes translated meek or gentle. It's often in parallel with humble, as we see here in our passage, but also in Ephesians 4.2. I like what one lexicon says about this word. I like your description. It says that it's a humble and gentle attitude that expresses itself in patient submissiveness to offense. Someone says something you don't like, Someone does something you don't like, boom! Or you can have a patience and a gentleness and a response. It's a difference. It's only Christ can do that. Free from malice and desire for revenge. It's a quality of gentle friendliness or meekness. It's exactly who Christ was and is and how he described himself. We see that he says, Take my yoke upon me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We know that by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, we're to obey the Lord, we're to follow him rightly. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, I urge you by those things. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 5? Blessed are the if that's the word, for they shall inherit the earth. It's a characteristic of Christ. It's impossible on your own. All these things are impossible. When you're in your flesh, you can't do it. You could fake it. It can be an external pharisaical thing. But when you trust him and you rely on him, you're thinking from his point of view in regards to what's happening, he will enable you to envelop yourself with those things. Put on Christ. This gentleness is a humble submissiveness towards God, a temper of spirit manifest outwardly. It's the same word, basically, or we used for women. there to have a gentle and quiet spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We see it in Galatians 5.23. So, allow Christ's gentleness to control you. Allow Him to temper your responses to be as He would have you be. Put it on. So, I got to think about this. This verse isn't in my mind. I'm not going to be putting it on, right? I got to think about these things. When those things trigger you, whatever it might be, sin, whatever, your flesh, you know, whatever it might be, temptation, I got to think about this.
1: If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close today's broadcast... What are some of your closing thoughts for us? Well,
0: Dave, we're just about done with a list of things that we've seen that those who are chosen by God, holy and beloved, are to put on. And there's no way that we can do this apart from allowing the Lord through his word to change our attitudes and our heart towards every situation, to be reminded how the Lord wants us to respond, to allow his word to direct our thinking and thus our actions. Well, how are you doing? were commanded to do these things. Are you living a moment-by-moment life, analyzing things based on the Word of God, trusting in the God of the Word that you might put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Well, that's
1: what the Lord's will is for us. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi,
0: this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has Equipping the Saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise
1: our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints.